0: Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a while, but we are back. After the holiday break and several harrowing experiences with COVID, I am joined once again by the ever intellectually stimulating Matt Barfield.
1: (coughs) Matt Barfield here.
0: And Pastor Brandon. Hello, hello. We are back to work through a new series uh, that we're going through in our small groups. Ruth, a story about love, loyalty, and redemption. We're going to be serving the first two lessons since last week. Uh, things were a little bit crazy, and we weren't able to be recording. So the first lesson here is an introduction to the story of Ruth. really deals with the first five verses. And the second lesson deals with Naomi's bitterness and God's goodness. Now, these two lessons uh, cover Ruth 1, so we'll go ahead and, and dive in. But as we get started, I want to ask you guys a question that's not in the material, so oh, I hope boy. that's oh, okay. Boy. Oh, oh no. Know.
2: Who knows what you're going to get? I have COVID brain. <laughs> oh, boy.
0: Uh, He's joking, don't worry. How do you read a story? You can't get it through a podcast. You never know. Um, There's so much we don't know. How do you read a story in the Bible? Okay, so as we come to the the story of Ruth, uh, what are the types of things that when you guys are are reading, you pay attention to? And kind of tied in with that, how can reading a story help me in my Christian life?
2: Uh, Typically, I look a lot for how God is responding to people and what he tells them when they're going through specific things. So if I look for somebody who's going through a very... Disappointing time, and then uh, specifically listen to what's revealed about God in Scripture in response to what they're going through. Think about the story of, of, of Hannah, uh, Elijah, um, and then I also think it does highlight a lot of things about human nature that I can relate to and how I should respond to God in those different circumstances that that I'm going through. So.
1: Yeah, I, I I do it. I look at it in terms of story arc, and then and then characters. So can I see, you know, what starts this? Where's the 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 point where faith is the issue. Usually faith is a major issue. Um, And then what's the result of the exercise of faith? So I'm looking for that kind of arc of a story. And then characters, as Pastor Brandon just said, it really helps to identify. You can see something happening in someone's life and the way they're responding and then say, okay, what about me? What about my situation? What about that person? How can I help that person who's going through a similar situation? Because they match up with those same characters. So I think by looking at the characters, by looking at the story arc, you kind of get a sense of how it could be helpful. Yeah. That's
0: good. I think, and just to add to that, um, I also often will try and pay attention to the, the details, especially in the Old Testament, you know, when you're reading through and, and um, why did the author include this? Why did he, not, you know, there's, an, our Old Testament is, is mm-hmm. pretty scarce on details. And so normally there's a detail, there's some reason for it. Now you have to be careful. You don't want to press things too far. There may be a reason for it that just escapes me. But um, as you read a story slowly, thoughtfully, carefully, and then try and imagine, you know, what would it, what would it have been like? Because so often we just, we read through these and we go through them kind of roughshod and, you know, we're familiar with all the stories we've heard them. But then to, to stop and think as we're going to see, what would it be like within 10 years to lose a husband and two sons? Um, what would that, what would that do to a person? How would that uh, affect the way they look at the world? Um, do I know people who've gone through that and responded <clears throat> similarly or differently? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think all of that is, is helpful As we come to story, stories show us a mirror into our own character. Uh, We see ourselves in Naomi. We see ourselves, hopefully at times, in in Ruth or Orpah or Boaz. And it also uh, shows us God and what he's like and how he interacts uh, with us. So uh, as we start off in this lesson, we ask the question, what is Ruth about? And it's kind of interesting to me. When you look at the book of Ruth, there's a lot of different angles that you can take with the book. And I don't think that it's a, you know, one is right and the others are wrong. Um, but uh, one way that you can read the book of Ruth is as an example of a virtuous woman. In fact, in uh, one of the arrangements of the of the books of the Bible in Hebrew, Ruth comes right after Proverbs 31, who is a virtuous woman. And In Ruth 3.11, Ruth is called a virtuous woman. And so if you just kind of scan through or think through the virtuous woman in Ruth, what are some things that Ruth uh, shares in common with a virtuous woman? How would, how would you define virtue as you look at, at Ruth or the Proverbs 31 woman?
1: Well, she's certainly industrious. She's not daunted by difficulty. She's she's out there at a time where she has to learn a bunch of things and and make progress. Um, you know, with her own hands, working that thing, which is good for her family. She's she's looking at Naomi and she's she's caring for her. Um, so yeah, you see a lot of those that hard work kind of emphasis from Proverbs thirty one in Ruth's life.
2: And I think just the consistency factor, like you know what to expect from a Proverbs thirty one woman. They're constantly doing good. They're not harming people. Uh, Ruth, as you read through is, is pretty steady, yeah. um, throughout the book of Ruth and, um, she's, she's going to be serving other people. Um, you can, she can be trusted. She's responsible. Uh, and just a lot of those consistency things kind of stuck out to me. Like she can be relied on and trusted. Yeah. I
0: think, um, we hear virtuous women and we often think term in terms of, you know, uh, virtue as, as, you know, moral, moral qualities. So, somebody who's kind, somebody who's mm-hmm. friendly, somebody who's, you know, not a gossip, those types of things. And, and that may be included in that, but I think you guys have really hit on it. When you look at Proverbs 31 and then you look at Ruth, uh, what you see is somebody who at the, at the base of it, they're a hard worker mm-hmm. and they're, they're doing, um, they're doing a lot for their families and their work that they're doing is important work. It's not secondary. And I know that uh, one of the things that conservative Christianity sometimes gets hit with is this, mentality that, oh, you know, women are just supposed to stay at home and the men are supposed to work. And obviously that's not the case for everyone. But even when that is the case, that doesn't mean that, you know, women have a secondary job. It's it's a lot of work uh, to keep everything uh, running. I know uh, my wife stays at home and uh, works a little on the side and it, it's, a, it's a lot of
2: work. Yeah. The and, days I stay home with my kids, <laughs> I'm more tired after that than when I go to work. Amen. <laughs> So,
1: yeah, and and I think I think there's certainly in our culture a huge undervaluing of oh, yeah. of what fa- family is supposed to be mm-hmm. um and and what it takes to make a family what it's supposed to be. Um I think it was um Vance in one of his sermons said you've got a monstrosity when you've got a, a family like a like a, a living thing where the husband's not the head of the home and the wife's not the heart of the home. If you got any beast that has no head and no heart, you know, hmm. then you've got a big problem. And, and that's really what's happening when things are out of whack and not lined up with the Bible. Um, the family needs that kind of virtuous woman. The family needs that kind of, uh, of person laboring like that. And what an honor to be in that role. I what an honor to see the family move forward into this incredible, I mean, what you see here because of what Ruth does is nothing short of miraculous, um, and being included in the line of Christ. Uh, oh, spoiler alert! Sorry, uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's, just, it's just it's just such a great uh, great testimony of what God does when we do what He has for us.
2: Yeah, and I think real quickly, uh, circumstances do not sway her decisions. Um, and Proverbs thirty one again, decisions are made based on on truth and uh, just that that consistent, reliable, non. Not overly emotional <laughs> decision making. We, we had started. a we were in Jordan
1: one time, and a um, a young guy came through with his uh, Bible professor. He was doing like a summer internship, going to different mission works in the Middle East. And he came to our house, and he said, "You know, I'm thinking about marrying." And he was talking to my wife and I. He said, "What kind of what kind of woman do I want to be a missionary's wife? You know, how, what are considerations? What do you think is important in your life? What's been significant to you?" And um, she said, "You know, she was she said you really need to have a lady who can respect." And admire you and stick close to you because you're going to be it. You know that's going to be all there is for you know in the beginning when you're getting started. and You need to have somebody that can that trusts you and uh, that has confidence in you and and that unlocks her ability to do all the work that she does. And um, you know, I, watching what Krista's done in the past few years, watching what she did in the Middle East. I mean, it, the, you, when you have these roles fulfilled the right way, it unlocks everybody's potential and a lot a lot mm-hmm. a lot of great things happen.
0: Yeah, and that's that's hard work, you know. I think, again, we in, we're in a culture where kind of the mentality is, well, if you're not out working a a nine to five, then you're not really working. You're just kind of, you know, lazy sitting around home, and that's maybe the stereotype that's developed. And I, again, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, my my wife works really hard every day, taking care of the kids and keeping our home in order and making sure that all of the details are are in order and shopping and picking things up. And I mean, there's just her day is full. And uh, like you guys said, you know, I stay back for a day and or. You now take over for the kids on a Saturday when she's sick, and it, it, it's a lot of work. Send and- me back to work, please. <laughs> well, it's, it's, please. You know,
1: American culture and our technology has provided a lot of optionality. So, you know, you don't have to spend all day cleaning carpets. You've got a robot vacuum. You it's know, just awesome. It is awesome. It, it works while we sleep. We need that. We got a stupid dog and all the hair, anyway. But um, you know, it's it's we create optionality. We create we create bandwidths. People have more time to do things, and so the assumption is, well, if you have more time to do things, then you're going to be you know lazy and sitting around eating bonbons, watching television. And and what the virtuous woman shows is, no, no, I take bandwidth and I make use of it. I take mm-hmm. opportunities and I go and do it. That's the virtuous woman. That's Christian women today, and that's really what this what our country, what every country. Every society needs is people investing um, their lives following God's pattern.
0: That's good. Um, Another way uh, that you can read the book of Ruth, and I think this is important as well, is as an important link in the history of God's plan. So Ruth, in in our Bibles, comes right after Judges and right before 1 Samuel, which is historically the the perfect place for it if you're going to organize these books by history because uh, it's set in verse 1 in the day uh, when the Judges ruled. And uh, what do we know about the rule of the judges?
2: <laughs> a lot of up and down. I yeah, mean, it was a roller coaster yeah. cycle. Everybody was doing what they was right in their own eyes. Um, very unstable.
0: Yeah. And really, some of the sickest stories, I yeah. mean, just frankly, in the Bible come in those last few chapters.
1: They're just awful, awful things. Yeah, they are really bad stories. I don't know that I'd say they're the sickest. I, think I said some of the sickest. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think some of the sickest happen in every phase. Right, we got some of the sickest things going on now. We have some of the sickest things going on in the first century church. Um, uh, so I, I'm not just trying to throw cold water on it, but i I think, you know, we look at these stories and you have kind of this. You get, you have all these divine interventions, and we think, oh, look, God intervened. There's a judge. God intervened. There's a good thing happening. Oh, God intervened. There's a revival, and we think it's just going to go un un unimpeded forever. And of course, man fails and man fails and man fails and man fails. And I think, I think that helps us to we shouldn't then turn away from God's plan. We should always keep looking for God to work. And uh, the fact that he reveals more problems means we get to trust him for a bigger thing. Not to say, well, God can't work because we've gotten so bad. No, mm-hmm. quite to the contrary. The fact that you see these bad things means God wants you to be part of seeing this Fixed, through prayer, through preaching, through teaching, through talking, through living a godly life, you're part of the solution. And I think that's the lesson we should take away as we look, especially when we look at Ruth and how how much a part of the solution she is.
2: And I think when you see, when you look for what God is doing, God always sends a deliverer in the time of the judges. And that's a picture of the deliverance he's sending through Jesus Christ as well. Like, um... He's not going to just leave us, abandon us, even when we completely just push him away. God's going to come back and...
0: Well, and it's interesting that you say that because that's generally true, but the last uh, five chapters, uh, is it 5, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, yeah, um, there, there doesn't seem to be a deliverer. Um, but the deliverer, actually, it's funny that you say that because I never thought of it like this. The deliverer is, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone mm-hmm. did that which was right in his own eyes. So the deliverer is, we need a godly king mm-hmm. who's going to encourage us to follow the ways of the lord who's the deliverer in that sense it's it's right. david and ruth is the story of where that deliverer is going to come from mm-hmm. um that's going to be the temporary solution not the ultimate solution the ultimate solution of course is the king jesus who uh, who never fails and the line of david is is humanly speaking going to fail and then that's going to tie into to christ mm-hmm. later but um and so uh, that all plays together. Uh, Ruth shows the origin of King David. So this is an important historical link. It shows how uh, David's family uh, came out. I mean, really, you look at a, a guy like David there, and you ask, okay, where did he <laughs> learn uh, to be the godly king that he was? Because that doesn't just come out of a vacuum. And uh, he, the story of Ruth shows us his great-grandparents and shows us the kind of people that they were and shows us that even during these dark times, there were still Israelites ready to follow God. And then finally, uh, we, we can understand it as a picture of Christ and the church. And some people have shied away from this and said, well, that might be a little bit overstated. But I think if you, if you just read through the book of Ruth, it, it's hard not to see this as a picture of Christ and the church in the Old Testament, um, God and Israel. I mean, this, this image of a husband, protector, provider, um, taking care of, Uh, his bride is one that's used in the old and the new Testament for God's love for his people. So I think at least at that level, you could say this is a, this is a picture of God's love for his people. And um, I think that there's other things as we look at that kind of show uh, parallels. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts Along those lines. Well, I
1: don't, you know, maybe anything could be overstated, even if it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got Ruth and, and and Rahab, both the ladies in the line of Christ, mentioned the genealogy of Christ. And both of them are brought out from the nations. So when mm-hmm. you're talking about the church, what's the church? The church is mm-hmm. people from every nation. So these are people brought out from the <laughs> nations. Um, I don't know how you could say it doesn't. Uh, you know, show, sort of foreshadow that or or point to the church and Christ. And then it deals with marriage, which we know from several places in the New Testament, notably in Ephesians, where we've got, you know, this is, I'm speaking about Christ and the church. So we're talking mm-hmm. about a marriage. We're talking about Christ and the church, either mm-hmm. a good example or a bad example. And certainly what we see here is a good example.
0: Pastor Brandon gives a thumbs up. We
1: will keep going.
0: Um, so as we look at the first few verses, uh, this might be one of those passages where it's kind of easy to, to skip through you're reading you read quickly you don't really you know stop and pause think carefully but as we look there's there's a lot going on here in verses 1 through 5 and um, so I'll just go ahead and read uh, some of these uh, verses it says now when it came to pass uh, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons and the name of the man was Elimelech in the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Melon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came to the country of Moab and they continued there. Okay. Um, anything strike you as odd or anything stand out as, as you're reading through uh, those verses?
1: Well, it's one of those things that I had in, I think it was sixth grade Bible class in which the teacher told us what all the names mean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now speaking Arabic and seeing some of these names, I like. Oh, I know these. I know these words. Uh, Elimelech, Melek, uh, Elimelech. My God is King. Um, leaving Bethlehem, the the house of bread, to go into Moab, this this foreign land of wandering, with his son sickly and wasting away, or something like that. Yeah, I just I loved it when I heard that. It just captured my imagination. So yeah, every time a I read city it, of bread to yeah, right. Go get bread. The house of bread to go wander mm-hmm. in Moab. So it's uh, it's a pretty you know, amazing when you know what these words are, uh, Naomi, um, you know, yeah. all, all, of these names have meaning and they stand out. And so that's kind of what I get when I read
0: it. Yeah. Um, and knowing again, yeah, knowing the background of, of those names can be helpful because it does kind of set the story off. You know, there's a, there's a famine in the house of bread, which is unusual, right? That, that should, that should pique our
2: interest. And so I'll ask you guys, uh, why would there be famine? Uh, disobedience from the Mm -hmm. children of Israel. I mean, God promised that he would provide food for them. uh, There wouldn't be famines. There wouldn't be droughts. But when in that cycle of the judges, when they abandon God and run away, God has to bring back some consequences uh, to bring them back to him. So um, this is in a period probably in one of the valleys of that time of the judges spiritually in Israel where um, they're not pursuing God. They're not obeying him. They're not fulfilling what they've been asked to do.
0: And... Some people just, you know, go back and forth on this, but, you know, you have a family that's now leaving the promised land. They're leaving the inheritance that the Lord has given to them and their families mm-hmm. because the nation is under chastening. So in in a sense, they're they're disobeying God, and in doing so, they're running from the chastening hand of God, and they're going to Moab. Uh, when we study Moab in Scripture, uh, you go all the way back to the beginning, even the name Moab, Moab is another one of those names, or if you know the background, it's kind of— Kind of gross. The name Moab literally means from father. And Moab was one of the daughters of, or one of the sons of Lot's daughters. And you might remember that kind of sordid story from Genesis where uh, Lot's two daughters basically get impregnated by their father and they give birth to Moab, which means from father, and Ammon. Ben Ammon. Yeah. um, And so, you know, and then uh, later on in the story, the Moabites try to uh, basically seduce the Israelites into immorality so that they can get them involved in idolatry and, and get God to turn against them. And so this is, uh, this is not a, a good country to be going to. I mean, there's all kinds of, of nasty overtones with this. And so the, for Elimelech and, to take his family to this country um, is really not what the Lord would have wanted.
1: It's also kind of weird geographically because you know this is part mm-hmm. of the country of Jordan. And uh, certainly there are places where in Moab today where you could farm. Uh, but not a lot. Like, it's it's mm. kind of a high plateau escarpment. So you, you come up from the Jordan River Valley, you go up to Mount Nebo, and then you're into this sort of high kind of hilly country, and then it goes out to desert. So it's not – It's I mean, they're leaving the, the best place on the planet. Literally today, mm. Israel is the place that feeds the planet. If there's hope for feeding a place, it's in that place. Mm. And they're leaving that because God's judged it. So they're going to this other place that's not nearly as good – um, all things considered. So they, they must have had some kind of word that, okay, there's some place we can go or there's yeah. some opportunity or whatever, but nonetheless, all things being equal, Moab is, is certainly underneath the standard of Israel.
0: Well, and the other thing that's interesting is it's like 20 to 30 miles as the crow flies from Bethlehem to Moab. So it's not like they're traveling hundred miles no. away. There's famine in Bethlehem. Yeah. There's food in Moab that, that should immediately pique our interest and say, "Okay, something, something going something's on. going on. This yeah. is not just a normal famine." Yeah, and
1: it's a place when you're down there in Bethlehem, you would be looking up at the hills, seeing that place. Like hmm. it's the ridge you're going to look at. Hmm. It's the end of your. It's the end of your sunrise. You know, yeah. as you're looking east,
0: twenty thirty miles. That you, that's within the. Line oh yeah, of yeah, I mean,
1: you stand up on Mount Nebo, you're looking down on Jericho. You're looking down. You can see as uh, J- Jerusalem not far away. Wow. So I mean, it's it's certainly all right there. It's. You know, it's kinda of hard to get an idea of what that looks like unless you stood there and you go, yeah. Oh, okay, that's that's that place. We're going there. Which yeah. is interestingly the same direction that Lot's wife would have probably fled. Lot and his family when they escaped Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm. Hmm. That's another interesting thing. Yeah. So Wow. Hopefully I go there in twenty twenty three. There you go. <laughs> you yeah. go.
0: Go to Israel. Yeah. Join colonial. <laughs> Free advertisement. Matt Barfield. Um so yeah, we've got all this going on, and then they go, so you have a family that's running from the chasing hand of God. They go into the foreign land that they probably should not have been in, and they're struck by tragedy. Elimelech dies. So then they they further compromise, and they take wives from Moab, and you can make the case, well, you know, maybe, maybe they'd converted, and and there does seem to be some loyalty to the family, um, but, you know, at the end, Naomi's going to say, go back to your people, go back to your gods. Yeah. Um, so it just raises the question, should these young men have been marrying Moabites? And, you know, at the time, probably not. And so what happens? Well, for 10 years, they're barren, uh, which is a long time to be married sure. and not have children for sure. two sons, and then both the sons die. And so uh, there's there's just definitely this whole dark, kind of overbearing, foreboding uh, sense that What's happening there is is bad and and in some senses it it almost you know you look at it and you say this is the chasing hand of God, this is a couple that that ran away from god's chastening and you you can't run away from god and so it it follows them and so that's that's kind of chapter one that sets it up that's kind of a a dark chapter and then we keep going and we uh we come to this story that that's probably familiar and i'm going to assume that uh, most of our audience uh knows what's going on here, but you've got uh, Ruth and Naomi and Orpah, and you've got this scene where Naomi gets news. Hey, there's land or there's food back in Israel, and so Naomi uh, decides to leave and go back. Her daughters-in-law follow her. Uh, she turns to them and says, "You guys got to go back. You're not going to be able to find husbands in Israel. You're going to find husbands in Moab." And so there's weeping, and then the both of the both of the daughters-in-law say, "No, we're going to stay with you." And so she has an even more impassioned speech. Like, "You are not going to find husbands." With me, I cannot give you husbands. Go back to your family. And Orpah uh, agrees, and so they both weep again. And Orpah leaves, and then Ruth says, "I'm not leaving." Mm. And take takes a self imprecatory oath, like, "May God, may God strike me dead uh, if I don't follow you."
2: I'm trying to think. Yeah, she um, I mean, even says, "It, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me." And she's almost saying, I don't, I don't want you to be in the crosshairs of, yeah. <laughs> of, of my mm. discipline and my chastisement. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, she knows that that this is coming from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: And she, you know, there's a certain sense in which what she says she's, she's right about, in which, mm-hmm. yes, God's sovereign and, you know, she's been running from him. But there's almost a, you know, as, as we're going to come to see, a bitterness and a pessimism mm-hmm. behind that. You know, she's going to say, call me bitter because the Lord's dealt bitterly with me. At least
2: that's how she's viewing it. God yeah. is doing this to me. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so, um, as we look in this chapter, though, uh, by the end of it, uh, Ruth is pretty bitter, and so I just kind of want to. Naomi's pretty bitter. Naomi's pretty bitter. Sorry. Yeah. We 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 don't have a ton of time left. Let's just go through these characters briefly. Let's talk about uh, Orpah, Ruth, Naomi, and then ultimately God. Uh, what do we think about Orpah? How do we think the author portrays Orpah? What kind of a you know, if you were to look at someone today, what would what would be a modern contemporary example of somebody like orpa what would that what would that look like if you were to meet them
1: i think orpa matches her conditions so you know the melon and chilion being in moab was out of necessity or out of convenience orpa is fine in terms of that you know she's a a normal um uh, a normal acquisition for the family, you know, young men get married and here's a young lady. Okay. So there she is. And then young men die. And so what happens then is the wife has to go out and find somebody else. So I think Orpa is sort of a, a shows you what the baseline is. It kind of shows you what's normal. And I think if you put it in today's society, it would be like pop culture or news or whatever you would see is mm. this is the normal thing that happens. It's not extraordinary. It's not worth writing much about. That's the end of her story. We don't have anything else. Mm. She's the person that doesn't raise the needle at all. She's she's normal, and and then contrary to that, you know, you got Ruth. So I think I think she kind of is is she showing you this is the kind of family they have, this is the kind of situation they're in, this is the norm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what Matt said, and I'm trying to think of a parallel for today, but again, circumstances really dictate a lot of her decisions. She does is someone who initially says, you know what, uh, Naomi, I want to follow you, I want mm-hmm. to go with you. So she is. She has at least been hearing about to some extent, um, and you'll, you'll, fear, you'll hear later on Ruth talk about it. It's not like they went into Moab and didn't talk about their God. They still at, at least had, had some impact on them because Ruth is going to talk about it. Your God's going to be my God. She personalizes it. So um, she's heard about it, and but then when push comes to shove and things get difficult, she kind of allows herself to drift back and not be a person of faith like, like Ruth was, which is just the
1: choice Elimelech like made. Right. Right. I mean, he's back there. Things are hard. So he leaves. Yeah. And, right. and so Orpa's kind of doing the same thing.
2: That's the pattern that yeah. she has seen from even someone following
1: Yahweh. Um, and I think you know, she's just, the Facebook post. You just keep scrolling past. <laughs> like it's just, it's normal. There's nothing yeah. that makes you stop and, and click and read the story and go, Well, and, and kind this. of
0: along with that, she strikes me as the kind of person she will do the right thing until it's no longer expected of her. You know, like she, she believes it's in, and, and she's also like, she wants to do the right thing, but when it gets too hard and when the expectation is, is no longer there, she kind of folds. I mean, she weeps twice in this passage. I don't think we should just skip over that. Like she loved Naomi. Um, She cared about her, but um, you know, when, when push came to shove, we we asked this in our group, um, somebody, I forget how exactly the question was worded, but it was, uh, Some along the lines of why do you think it is that you know Orpa ultimately went back, and someone just made the comments like, "Well, that's what her heart wanted."
1: Yeah, I, I don't I think that the weeping part. I mean, anytime somebody leaves, I've left a lot of places through different <laughs> circumstances. You know, we're, are you gonna you know, leave us? We were I hope not. Okay, but we yeah. were in Jordan, and um, you know, I got sick, and and I'll follow
2: you wherever you go, Matt.
1: <laughs> so uh, so a lot of people said stuff like that. Yeah, right. A lot of people wanted to keep contact. Only a couple have. Mm, right. Right. And, and that's okay. That's right. just normal. That's how life goes. And that's what people yeah. are. But then there's people who who do something different right. and it's like, oh, now that's something worth writing about. Right.
2: And there's a reason the title of this book is not Orpah. 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 <laughs> Ruth and Orpah. <laughs> yeah. And I think she's the type of person that everyone would look at and say, you know what? I understand. And it's okay why they made the sure. decisions they did. Yep. Everybody understands it. Everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. it it's the status quo. Um, but- yeah, you see you see Ruth, we're about to get to her, I, I know, but she makes this decision that goes against all odds, even all counsel from the person who's introduced you to this God. She's like, I still want your God who you're telling me to leave to mm-hmm. be my God.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that while Elimelech and Naomi were looking up to mountains of Moab, that this girl from Moab was looking down on Jerusalem, right? She's mm-hmm. she's looking that way with hope while they were looking the other way with hope. Mm-hmm. And, um, and here we get to see that fleshed out.
0: So let's talk about Ruth. Um, why does Ruth make the decision that she makes? Scripture doesn't give us that explicitly, but as we look at the story, as we try and study it carefully, as we think through it, why? What kind of the person? What kind of person is Ruth?
2: Yeah, I mean, she gives a lot of reasons in her in her poem speech. <laughs> um, Beautiful. Maybe not even reasons, but just this Rationale. is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and she just made a decision. And I do think that. Uh, She, at some point, and thy God, my God. And then later on, she talks about the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not just an external thing anymore. She has personalized this. The Lord do so to me and more also. um, If odd, but death part thee and me. So she's saying, hey, I'm going to follow through with this. I know circumstances are hard but I'm going to pursue God and make him my God. She personalized it at some point.
0: Well, and you mentioned that oath there. And again, this is kind of a nerdier point here, but I think it's important. The capital O, capital R, capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, yep. Yep. is the personal name of God, Yahweh, in the, in the Hebrew there. So she's, she's not just saying God, generically speaking, the God that's out there. Um, and she's from Moab. The, the God of the Moabites was Chemosh. And she's not saying, you know, may Kimash do so, may God— She's she's making it very specific. She's saying by—she's swearing by the name of the Lord, which means that for her, that's that's her God now, and that's who uh, she reports to, so to speak. That's mm-hmm. who she—so um, there's a—again, that, that oath there is really important because it shows that she's now personalized it, and she's now a follower and a worshiper of Yahweh rather than of, of Chemosh.
2: And I think it's interesting, too, like Naomi says, don't come with me because— um, the hand of the Lord is out against me. And basically in that speech, Ruth is like, listen, I'm, I'm casting my lot in with you. Like whatever happens to you, I'm there. Um, and I am, I'm okay with that. And it's almost a response to her that like, Hey, wherever you lodge, whatever you eat, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. happens to you, I'm, I'm going to be there. And God definitely comes into the picture for her.
1: My first response when I, when I saw your question was that it was just love. She loves yeah. Naomi. Yep. Um, and Naomi's name, name is lovely. So, you know, the interesting means interesting things there. But I think more than that, it's it's God's at work everywhere. Mm-hmm. God's at work in unlikely. God, God was at work in Moab. You know, God mm. was at work preparing Ruth. God was getting Ruth's heart ready for this. And I think that's something, particularly in missions, in, in all of our work. If God takes us someplace, it's not because we get to go be the pioneer and start the thing that never happened. It's because he was working and he wanted us to join him. I mean, and that's Ruth. God mm-hmm. has done something. God did something in Rahab's heart. Something was happening in Rahab's life, so that when those spies come in, she responds the way she responds. God something. God's doing something in Moab, mm-hmm. and and you think, you know, it's 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 one of those things that we know that the reason the Gentiles are brought in, in part, is to go the Israelites back to faith, because. Mm they don't respond as well. And here's a great example of it. Here's the Israelite woman, Naomi saying, go back to Kimosh. And, and here's Ruth going, I worship Yahweh. Yeah. Like, Whoa, what has just happened here? Well, God yeah. prepared somebody. God was doing a work and it, it, mm. it's got to goad the Israelite women. I mean, how many, you know, This is kind of hard for us to get. I don't want to go too far off on this, but I've been in a lot of countries where the number of Christians in any one place is very small. In Jordan, there are 3,000 evangelicals of any kind in the whole country. When people go to get married, there aren't a lot of people to pick from, right? (laughs) And here comes this Moabite lady who's already had one Israelite husband. She comes down the hill. She goes over to Bethlehem, and now she's going for Boaz? Boaz? I mean, come on, somebody stop this. This isn't right, right? There's got to be a lot of people who thought, I can't believe Ruth got Boaz, right? Because yeah. they wanted Boaz. They wanted to have that husband, you know? Um, But but God's doing a great work. God's God's hand is going before. And we when we go out and minister, when we go out and do anything, we got to say, God, what are you doing? I want to join it. It's
0: interesting you mentioned that point about uh, them being kind of the to s- sparking jealousy in Israel and, and responding better in some ways than, than the Israelites did. You, you see something similar with Jonah where in some ways, you know, Jonah, again, I think is functioning on several levels. One of the things it's doing is it's, it's a contrast to the rest of the prophets because the rest of the prophets, God sends prophets and he sends prophets and he sends right. prophets over and over and over again to his people. And they throw it back in his face almost every time. Yep. And then Jonah goes out to Assyria, the, the wicked nation and he gives a the shortest speech you ever heard. There's nothing about grace or mercy or repentance. Nope. It's just forty days, and God's going to overturn this place. And he turns around and leaves. And they all repent. And there is something in that too, I think. And you know, we need to be careful. You know, we don't we don't want to look at that and be like, oh yeah, pff, those Israelites they messed it. The point is that how often is it that God's own people don't respond as well as those who haven't heard before, and as personally, as a second, third generation Christian, that's something that I need to take to heart. How do I respond when God speaks? And, you know, do I show the the character of Ruth here? Or am I more like a, a Naomi where you're familiar with it, you're kind of bitter about it? And I guess that leads into the next question. How do we, how do we think about Naomi? What is, um, if we were to kind of draw a comparison between Naomi and maybe a modern day situation, what would we see?
2: It's interesting you brought up Jonah, because as I was kind of thinking about this whole lesson in this chapter, Jonah came into my mind because he's another example along the lines of Naomi of someone who had proper theology, so to speak, but like the way he lived didn't really match up. Like when all the, Mm. all the people repented, he's mad at God and he's God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew (laughs) you were going to save all these people. You were just the kind of God that would do this. You're merciful and long suffering. How could you? (laughs) And (laughs) Naomi has, has these ideas. Like she knows who God is. she, um, is going back to where she knows she's supposed to be. She understands that God is probably bringing consequences because of her choices. And then she goes back and she's still like, look at all the bad things God has done to me. Like I, I know who, she knows who he is and like her th- theology doesn't necessarily impact that much of how she's living, but also that uh, evoked some thoughts, even about what we just talked about. I I'm always curious what happened in that time frame. Like what drew these mobile women to this Israelite family to, to, to marry them and all the impact they had on them for so many years before their husband passed away. Something happened in those meantime, In the meantime, and they were flawed. Naomi and Elimelech were flawed followers of the Lord, but
1: they had some influence on her as well. Yeah, I wonder if Naomi couldn't have gotten Elimelech to go back earlier. You know, mm. I mean, Naomi's leaving the charge and going back now. Oh, that is interesting too. Um, you know, what's her? what was her role in the leave? Yeah. Mm. You know, we don't know much about uh, Elimelech or Elimelech. Um, but, but what was Naomi's role in that? I mean, I'm kind of putting some lines together here. I'm thinking, I don't mm-hmm. think she was really helpful yeah. <laughs> in discerning the spiritual thing that they should have done yeah. or how they should have responded to God's chastening back in Bethlehem Ephrathah or Bethlehem Judah. Uh, I think they, I think Naomi's pretty consistent through the beginning of this and she's not on the right page. Um, and, um, you know, she's not, she's not doing well. I think you, know, you hate to call out somebody. She gives
2: she, bad counsel. Yeah, Go back yeah. to your gods.
1: Yeah, she's not doing well. I mean, it's, it's the kind of person you need to unfriend on Facebook. <laughs> Stop reading their posts. <laughs> but I
0: think even, you know, along with what Brandon said, I think we see people, I can think of people like this, where, man, you look at it and you're like, they're, they're not doing well. They're, but there's this mixture. Like, she's still a follower of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And God is still working through her to draw Ruth. To the people of God, and that, that kind of blows my mind in some ways. That you, you know, you wonder what was it that these, again, that these Moabites saw in this family. That even though it's this family that's running away from the Lord and they're not living right, there's still something there that's mm-hmm. attractive to the nations around them. That says, man, this is different than Moab. Like, and that even after everything else is gone, Ruth says, yeah, I want to go back with you, and, and I want your God to be my God.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't know anything about their families. We don't know what they were experiencing in Moab. Maybe they were like, you know, the off, the off-scouring of the Moabites, and, and they ended up, oh, you're you're refugees, and we're refugees, so okay, we'll marry our girls to so your guys, and who yeah. knows how that all played right. out. I mean, it, it could have been a very different story. We have no idea. Um, so a lot of things could have attracted them. I, I, You know, Israel's testimony must have stood out. You know, you, most mm-hmm. of those other places weren't, Uh, Nations as much as little city states, and you know, here you got this this whole people that worships in one place, and they worship one God over this whole land. Like, that's I'm sure that stood out in that culture in that time.
2: Yeah, and
1: nobody can defeat them.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When their when their gods on their side, down they come back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Maybe they had heard about the crossing of the Jordan River. Maybe some of them that story had gone around. Yeah. You know, maybe some of them had heard about the cloud coming down on the, on the tabernacle or who knows, who knows what kind of stories had circulated, but there was something special going on over in that valley that wasn't happening in this high plateau of Moab. Yeah, and I
2: think, even when I think about Jonah and Naomi, as they kind of couple them, I, those connections, like, they were both in a very spiritually low state, and mm-hmm. we, we've, been, we've been there, we've known sure. people who've been there where they know what they're supposed to do, but they just reluctantly do it, and even even as you're talking about what God is doing in your life when you're in those low spiritual states, it comes out negative and you're like, I know I shouldn't be thinking this, but mm-hmm. this is what I'm thinking and feeling. Um, and she comes back it's just like, listen, don't call me that. God's dealt bitterly, uh, bitterly with me. <laughs> and um, we, we've all s- seen life through those lenses at times. Yeah.
0: Well, Ruth, Naomi, Orpa, I think these are people that we've seen before that we've uh, probably at times been a little bit of each of them. And um, I think we'll wrap things up here for this week. Uh, Next week, we'll be looking at a, quote, chance encounter. uh, And a kind hero in Lesson 3 of our study we will be looking at the entirety of Ruth 2. And in particular, we're going to be paying attention to the character of Boaz and how Boaz models for us the kindness of God. And so if you want to read up in preparation for the lesson, be asking yourself, what does Boaz show us of God's character? And how can we have that same heart as Boaz and as God when it comes to providing for and protecting the weakest among us? Uh, You can also find uh, notes for these lessons on our website, colonialindy.org backslash Ruth, and we'll include a link in the show notes as well. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to digging into the story of Ruth more in weeks to come. See ya. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.